1: A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So Kerry Romero is the executive director of the New Mexico Council of Outfitters and Guides. And essentially I wanted to talk to her because of the series of podcasts that we are creating around the E-plus system in New Mexico. We wanted to get everyone's viewpoint from both sides of the equation, those that are for E plus and those that are against it. Naturally, Kerry and her group are for E plus. And so I wanted to dig in a little bit to understand the nuances of E plus and why they believe it is such an important program. So enjoy.
2: Are you recording already?
1: Yeah, day five, right? (laughs) Day five. Day five. What is it? It feels like almost like day 25.
2: Oh, it definitely feels like day 25.
1: Yeah, that's what happens when you're in convention season, (laughs) essentially, right?
2: I missed it, but... uh,
1: I think everyone's had a bit of pent-up, like, want to be here kind of thing. I told my wife last night, I haven't seen the sunlight. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen it through a window. Barely. It has not been on my face. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Since Sunday. And I've breathed fresh air twice.
2: We went out last night, so we actually breathed fresh air. Mm-hmm. But that was the first time since I've been here in Vegas. Yeah. I'm ready to go home.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. Well, um, we typically dive right in, in terms of these things. and Let's do it. Um, e plus, right? Kay. So. Uh, new mexico guides and outfitters association right mm-hmm. it's uh instead of me typically i uh, typically waffle and do three minutes or four minutes and everyone's like robbie you haven't introduced the guest <laughs> at <laughs> okay. all on this thing <laughs> carrie why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself
2: sure so uh, my name's carrie cox romero i'm the executive director of the new mexico council of outfitters and guides we are a 501c6 uh, basically a trade association okay. for the outfitter and guide industry in the state of New Mexico. Okay. What we primarily do is lobby and advocate the interests of the outfitter and guide industry and then the broader hunting and fishing industry as well.
1: Okay, so so that means the position of the New Mexico Guide and Outfitters Association is that the E-plus system is not a good system.
2: No, no, no. <laughs> I know you're going to try to walk me into some trap. Uh, <laughs> no, we are 100% in favor of the e system. It's an old system. It's been around for nearly 40 years. Mm-hmm. It works great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been recent studies conducted on our e system, and it's basically been um, praised as a model for other states to follow. It works really, really well. It's mutually Beneficial to all the stakeholders, the hunters, landowners, outfitters and guides, and the wildlife, most importantly. And, uh, yeah, so we're 100% in favor of the E-plus program.
1: Okay, so let's uh, rewind a little bit and give just a general context to E-plus. Um, and, you know, dive into details if you want, um, but just talk about the general um you know the different zones and and what E plus actually means in those zones and whatnots.
2: Okay, let's start with the acronym. Stands for Elk Private Land Use System. Oh, I, so I did not know that. I guess. just was
1: like plus. Okay, well, just mm-hmm. like extra extra tags on on people's <laughs> lands extra and tags. stuff. Yeah, I know. That's I, what uh, I thought.
2: <laughs> no, actually. So, um, w- basically, the foundation of E plus was. Um, a partnership foundation to facilitate partnership between the landowners and the Department of Game and Fish because 50% of New Mexico's elk habitat is on private property. And so um, as there were more conflicts happening between landowners and elk, the Department of Game and Fish, this was, you know, back in the 80s, um, basically determined that they were really going to have to come up with a system where they could work together with the private landowners and In New Mexico, we have an anti-donation clause in our constitution, so that prevents the Game and Fish from um, giving monetary uh, payments to landowners for damages. Interesting. From wildlife, so they- So you have
1: no depredation?
2: Um, Well, we have like fencing programs where the Department of Game and Fish can like pay for fencing material, but the the Game and Fish will retain ownership of all of that material until it depreciates out. So there's like an easement process, but yeah, Our anti-donation clause in our constitution is very clear. No state agency can monetarily compensate or even, um, you know, give any type of reimbursement Mm. to uh, a private landowner for wildlife damages. And so this program, you know, basically came about to try and and encourage a relationship between the landowners and. Um, the Department of Game and Fish. It's important to always kind of, like, keep that in the back of your mind because of all of the the buzz that goes around the E-plus system now, it's important to realize that the foundation of it is um, basically a partnership between the landowners for providing water, grass, you know, habitat, cover. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it's a really complicated system. It It's um, – hard for people to understand it's hard for me to explain in like uh, a layman's terms so the overall mechanism for the e-plus program is in statute and uh and it's a very short statute it basically just says that the game and fish shall give uh landowner permits to to landowners yeah for elk Mm -hmm. Um, then all of the nuts and bolts are in rule so a lot of it can be changed outside of the legislature, which is why
1: the through commission process c-
2: correct, which mm-hmm. is which is why we are so heavily focused on the, on you know what the state game commission does. Uh, so um, basically, what E Plus does is it allocates hunting opportunity for elk on private property, just like the Department of Game and Fish allocates hunting opportunity for elk on public land mm-hmm. it's the way that they allocate opportunity mm-hmm. for elk on the private land. further than that uh so they issue the tags to the landowners and and there's states all across the way i mean there's like 13 states that that issue landowner elk permits in a similar fashion the difference between new mexico and some of the other states is that ours are fully transferable so that means they can be given gotcha, or donated or sold gotcha. to whomever the landowner chooses and what that does and there's like seven other states that have similar transferable landowner type uh, programs. Um, but what that does for the landowner is it creates a market, sure, and it, it gives Puts um, value, value on the animal, exactly. Right. It just, just kind of similar to the way that it is in Africa, mm-hmm. where the animal has value and that therefore incentivizes conservation at a higher level. Mm-hmm. It's the same sort of concept.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, and so let's go from there. And now you've got two different, you've got three different zones, actually, right?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so the way that a landowner will qualify for the E-plus program is in, uh, depending on where your property is, okay. uh, you fall into one of three categories. The primary zone, primary which zone, is right? basically where... Best old um, habitat. Yeah, best and most in, most heavily managed by the department of game and fish so that's where their focus is Kay. they really want to like protect yep. and um you know keep a, a close mm-hmm. eye on the quality mm-hmm. of the primary mm-hmm. herd so if your property is in the primary zone then uh then you really have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to qualify for e-plus you have to prove that you have so you don't just get given tags no you have and it, it's it based it's based off of a percentage acreage private to public within that game unit and then it's further broken down by landowners um but yeah you have to prove beneficial habitat you have to prove cover and there's like a matrix uh you know if you have water you get like whatever five points and then if you have cover you get like two points and that's oversimplifying
1: but so does every and um, uh, i know a little bit to be dangerous right Mm -hmm. so does that mean everyone in the primary zone if say robbie kroger i have five acres you and have I have an alfalfa field, and I have water. I can get a tag with five acres?
2: Well, you have to you have to at least score a 13 in order to um, qualify for a base allocation okay. tag. So a tag that you would get every single year that you could rely on back-to-back. If you legitimately had five acres, let's just say in the middle of the Gila, okay. five acres of private property, but you've got the only water in... A substantial radius then yeah you you definitely would qualify for a tag and you could identify your property as unit wide or ranch only um but you're providing i mean new mexico and when you pr-
1: and just so that everyone is clear if i had identified my property as unit wide mm-hmm. anyone can hunt it
2: yes any public land can hunt your deeded acreage you only have five acres (laughs) but going back to the foundation of the the program you're providing water source Mm. and in new mexico water is so so important Mm -hmm. for wildlife i Mm -hmm. mean the private landowners are really the Mm. ones that are are providing the water i Mm. mean you go you go to the public land and The drinkers are broken, they're all dry, Mm -hmm. you know, they need to be repaired, they're not well maintenance. The private landowners are are who's providing the water. So you would not see the wildlife disbursement that we have without the private landowners, and the Department of Game and Fish realizes that. So if you've got the only water source, Mm. then you you definitely are providing meaningful benefit.
1: So the E-plus system is going to give private landowners an incentive to... Correct me if I'm wrong. Maximize habitat on their properties. And that incentive typically is an elk tag or two or three or ten. And they can then use that elk tag however they wish. They can donate it to veterans organizations, youth hunts. They can sell it for a lot of money too. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm primary zone mm-hmm. secondary zone
2: secondary zone are um so one another thing to realize about the primary zone yep. because there's a lot of talk about the unit wide versus ranch yes only. yes yes the primary zone is the only zone that has the ability to be unit wide or ranch only all of the well that's i think some of the special zones might have some ability to be but the special wide. zone really but is the just. The special zone is very, very small. Right, right. And the secondary is all ranch only. Correct. And so basically, when you're looking on a total tag basis, only about 15% of the total tags are in the unit wide. And we can get a little bit deeper into the unit wide as we yeah, go, w- but I just wanted to make sure.
1: But generally, the unit wide is a ranch. Why would, let me, well, let's just talk about it right now. Why would a ranch owner want unit wide?
2: There's there's definitely legitimate reasons that a ranch owner would want a unit wide tag. So um, let's just say for g- there, there's several examples. Let me start with a conservation based example. So you have you know no elk on you during hunting season, but you're a primary calving zone, and you've got 700 mm. baby elk on you okay, that makes in sense. April. And so you've got a lot of elk pressure. And, yeah, it doesn't really do anybody any good that you're opening your ranch to public hunters because you don't have any elk on you in hunting season. But you just raised 700 baby calves. And so you are contributing to the the overall conservation Mm. of the wildlife Mm. and the elk specifically. So that's one example of why a unit-wide tag would be valuable to a landowner. Another example would be... um, there's a lot of checkerboard, public-private land in New Mexico. So there there's a, a lot of individuals, um, you know, especially that operate close to, like, bigger pieces of, of public land that have, you know, public land in holdings mm-hmm. or they're real close to a, an access point. Um, and that's the only way for them to operate legally because you have to be, um, in order to access that public land you have to have a special use permit mm. and in order to s- have a special use permit and to operate legally on the public land that's that's the only way gotcha. you could do it would be through a you know wide tag gotcha. but in exchange you have to open your your ranch only your deeded acreage in order to uh, anyone to anyone to anyone that has an elk permit during those same seasons right. so it's not just anyone you know all right. year round or anything but um yeah, and then, you know, a lot of times I hear, well, people keep their ranch gates closed or this or that. And it, y- you you do have the ability as a rancher to keep your ranch gate closed. But if you keep it closed for the public land hunters, you must also keep it closed for your private land hunters. So whatever ability, whatever accessibility you provide to your private land is also what you have to Provide to your public land hunters Mm -hmm. under the unit wide program. Is
1: there a lot of conflict Mm -hmm. tied to that? Because I could see someone just like, ah, screw it. Uh,
2: You know, there's like rumored conflict, but honestly, I don't know that there's a lot of actual conflict. There's a lot of people that say there's conflict. And previously, so the rule kind of changed in 2019. And there's been evolution since, you know, since it, the inception mm-hmm. of the program, and it's gotten mm-hmm. better and better, in my opinion, to where we're at today. It changed, uh, went into effect, it changed in 18 and went into effect in 19, and it put a lot of various different restrictions on landowners to prevent them from trying to cut corners, gotcha. and I, I think that it's really worked, and mm-hmm. it's, it's done, you know, a fantastic job of making it more fair.
1: Is there more improvement that could happen in the e system?
2: I mean, I think there's always room for discussion of improvement. But at this point, the adversaries of the program, that's not what they want. They want to dismantle the program entirely. And so what we are trying to do is protect the program. And maybe down the road we get to a point where we can talk about some of the areas where there's still manipulation of the program Mm. and try to close those loopholes. But right now, basically what we are trying to do is just save the the entire Entirety of the program in general.
1: So in the primary unit, give me some stats on private versus public tags. Is it equitable? Is it 50-50? Because that's where it comes down to at the end of the day, right? Is equitability and, as I understand it, obviously, that the resource belongs to the people of New Mexico. And that resource is on private ground, so it's not actually accessible to the people of New Mexico.
2: Well, uh, so you can't really just, in my opinion, ratchet it down to talking about only the primary zone because the public land tags are also allocated in the secondary zone. So the secondary zone, kind of going back to what we were talking about before, is it's less um, aggressively managed, I guess you'd say, but there are huntable elk populations Mm -hmm. and there are public land tags that are distributed. So you kind of have to look at the entire picture of public to private land in terms of tag allocation on um, you know on a more in- entire basis we can leave the special management zones out because the special management zones are are usually like primarily all private property and just big, big, big time big. ranches right, right. vermejo, you know mm-hmm. these big ranches that are sort of isolated little islands to themselves and they you know they would qualify for a special status regardless of what mm-hmm. sort of wildlife they mm-hmm. had. But um, looking at it from, you know, just uh, an allocation standpoint across both the public and the and the primary and the secondary zone, it, it is roughly 50-50. That's a, a bit of an oversimplification. If you got okay. right down into the details, okay. it wouldn't break out exactly like that. But it's roughly 50-50 in terms of the tags. And it makes sense that it is because the habitat is basically 50-50. Is
1: the... Is the acreage, again, talking to the primary zone specifically, is the acreage 50-50 mm-hmm. in the primary zone, mm-hmm. private, public?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, y- you really have to kind of drill down a little farther and go unit by unit if you want to. It depends on what, you know, statistics. So it depends on really what you're trying to get at. Like mm-hmm. if you're really trying to, you know, get me in a bind where I say, oh, well, it's <laughs> not 50-50, then, yeah, I'm sure you can find a unit where it's right, not 50 exactly. But when you're looking just on a habitat level across the elk habitat in the state. Right, right, it's right. roughly fifty fifty.
1: Okay. So the people that are against E plus, what's their major like concern with E plus? Is it what I just said that it's the state resource and we can't hunt it?
2: So so from what I've understand and and it's changed over over well, I'm glad you the said ten that years that I have been right l- lobbying for the Council of Outfitters well, and Guides, it's it's changed.
1: I'm glad you said that because when you first started, you're like, well, that's how we've always done it. You know, it's been a great rule for so long. And I was like, well, that's not an excuse well to keep it the way it is, right? not necessarily the
2: rule. I'm not even necessarily saying that the rule has changed, although it has. But the, the reasons mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. the push against E-plus have changed. So at first, you know, basically, and I mean, to be clear, we're talking about, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. Those are the two main organizations right. that are opposed to E-plus. You know, at, at first, they were kind of only against the unit-wide portion. And at that point in time, it was kind of like, okay, well, perhaps we could talk about where we can...
1: So why would they... I would think that it would be the opposite. Why would they be against the unit-wide? The unit-wide... Oh, okay. Sorry. Well, because My brain just clicked into... In that... Correct me if I'm wrong here. They're against the unit wide because it's unfair for someone to get a private land tag that is given to them to then be able to hunt all of the public ground versus the public land hunter that is in a very, very, um, is in a draw system that has very, very low odds of drawing. I get that right?
2: Yeah, that's true. And. Yes, I think that is the general thought process. But I really try to discourage people from like looking at the E plus system and comparing it to the draw system because they're two separate systems. They're meant to function as different mm-hmm. systems, and it's it's really difficult to compare a, a draw system. But but yes, you're you're overall you're right. They it, it's a fairness issue. They but see it, it as sense, being right? unfair.
1: If I've got if Joe Blow has fifty acres, he's like. I got my thirteen points. I don't have elk, and I'm going to get a tag. Hell yeah, I want a unit wide because it makes nothing. It, it's nothing on me, right? I'm not going to get people on my property for fifty acres, but I get access to five hundred thousand acres. I'm, uh, that was no, an I, a I total see what you're saying. No,
2: no, and actually, I mean, there are s- s- situations where you could potentially find a landowner that might be. And actually, prior to 2019, there was a high level of people that were trying to <laughs> manipulate the system. Right. And um, and that's why the Matrix system was kind of uh, re- revamped. Yeah, revamped to kind of get some of those people who were cheating the system out. And I think there was over 1,000 people that were kicked out of the system in 2019. And so I, I do find – I do think that it is far more fair now – Than it was before. But the new argument, and that's kind of what brings me back to the fact that I I don't think that the adversaries of E-plus have ever really been against unit-wide necessarily. It was just the low-hanging fruit. That was kind of where they were going to chop it off. Because now that we've kind of fixed some of the problems Mm -hmm. that they said they had previously, they still are opposed to it. So they're not going to be happy until we have a... We dismantle E-plus entirely and go to to a trespass fee system, which if we went to a trespass fee system, the outfitting industry would not die. You know, we we would find a way to survive. But in my opinion, it's not as mutually beneficial. It's not as mutually beneficial to the hunter. Mm. It's not as mutually beneficial to the landowner. And it's not going to be mutually beneficial to the wildlife because the wildlife depends on those smaller parcels of property. And the trespass fee system is going to fit. Fa- benefit the, la- the larger landowners in general, because you're not going to have as much access to the smaller parcels, whereas now you have more access to the yeah, p- smaller yeah. parcels within the E-plus Could
1: you argue that the trespass system, this may be a wild statement, I apologize. Okay. Could you argue that the trespass system is actually a more, more of a commercialization of wildlife model than E-plus?
2: Well, I don't really see E Plus being a commercialization of wildlife. I know, I know that that's one of the arguments that mm-hmm. you know that oh, it's a privatization of the state's uh, state-owned elk herd. But, but really, what does that mean? A privatization of a resource? I mean, we already sell oil and gas, we sell water, we sell lumber. I mean, like, w- what is it really that we're saying that is a p- privatization? I mean, it's it's the same sort of allocation as the public land the only difference is is that the landowner can make money off of mm-hmm. the permit which therefore compensates and the game and fish would hate me using the term compensate in in relation to the program because that's an, you know that's against the anti tonation. but basically that's what it does it incentivizes a landowner to provide wildlife conservation because it it incentivizes them to deal with the wildlife. It gives the wildlife Mm -hmm. value and then they have the ability to, you know.
1: So to simplify it, and I think I've heard this a lot in that when people ranch for wildlife, you're not making millions. You make a, a decent living, but you're not, as I said, you're not making millions. However, I think what people fail to recognize is that that person that has water let's just use two examples that person has water there's a cost associated with having the water definitely and that cost is quote-unquote as you say hate to use the word compensated by saying here's an elk tag that you could sell for six thousand dollars if you have good elk hunting right Mm -hmm. um if you have an alfalfa field and it gets you know the fringes get hammered and the yield of alfalfa goes down because instead of you getting, and I haven't been in the ag game for a long time, so the ag people are going to shoot me when I say, mm-hmm. $20 a bushel. I have mm-hmm. no idea what yeah. a bushel of it's alfalfa is. <laughs> 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 Am I off like an order of magnitude?
0: Uh, yeah. 200? But anyways, we'll, we'll just, it doesn't uh, matter. yeah. Uh, well, Jeez, thanks for putting, po- <laughs> psh- damn, Kerry, I didn't think you'd be so harsh <laughs> this morning.
1: Um whatever the cost is per bushel of of alfalfa there's going to be a cost associated with the depredation I don't know if you can call it depredation mm-hmm. the, yeah, the herbivory uh, yeah. of the alfalfa due to elk mm-hmm. and that is a compensation through the elk tag mm-hmm. versus kind of thing
2: mm-hmm. definitely definitely and that's you know that's one of the big things you take this program away and even if you go to uh, trespass fee system like i said the trespass fee system is only really going to benefit like the larger landowners because they have the ability to charge more to access more acreage but you take the value away from those elk on the smaller landowners there's no incentive for them to keep those elk alive the elk are competing with their income producing asset whether it's cattle whether it's crops whatever it may be Suddenly the elk, instead of providing value to their agricultural property, they're, they're a cost Mm -hmm. and they are competing with their income producing asset. There's no incentive for them to, well, I mean, there's no incentive for them to be alive, for them to keep the elk alive, A. But even, even separate from that, let's separate, you know, like slaughtering elk, there's no incentive for them to turn their waters on. Yeah, Like if they've got cattle and they've got, you know, however many acres and they have cattle in this one pasture and they move them to this other pasture to rotate, they've got no incentive to leave that water on in that other pasture, Right. which right now is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of landowners that keep their water on mm-hmm. despite not having cattle in those pastures because they're keeping it on for the wildlife. Sure, sure. And that is a huge benefit to the wildlife. And I just, I wish more people would recognize what um, essential contributions the landowners were making to conservation and and to habitat and to water um, because they th- we could really lose a lot if we lost the program if we lost the the mm-hmm. value and it's not just elk you know yeah, that's where the, that. yeah wha- that's where the the transferability is at in the tags and the ability to to make money but I mean you're you're benefiting all the wildlife mm-hmm. by leaving that water on Game species, non-game species. I mean, right, it's a benefit right. to all the wildlife.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating system. Obviously, we've had lots of conversations with people that are pro E plus, and I've had conversations that are people that are like E plus sucks, and we want to you know we want to change it. Um, and I think you know, obviously, having discussions like this, people get to understand the me- the system, they understand the nuances. They understand that things change, and I agree with you. I think the when I first got involved in E+, Plus, I had a very, um, what can I call it, a very terse conversation with an individual that we both know. He says, I need to call you, okay. and you need to understand this, and you know who I'm talking about.
2: I do. Okay. No, I actually don't. You do. I, um, continue talking, and <laughs> maybe I'll figure it out. <coughs>
1: It was a, a a very large private landowner.
2: Okay. okay.
1: And uh, we both met him at, okay. in okay. Dallas. Okay. 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 Now I'm clear. And uh, and in my brain, the first time I heard about E Plus, I was like, okay, that makes sense. But then when I heard the other side, I was like, man, there seems to be a couple of loopholes here that may need to be tightened. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing from you is, we heard, we've seen over the years that yes where things can get better, where loopholes can get tightened, we want to tighten those loopholes because we know that it is, as a system is beneficial for elk. It's beneficial for the landowner. It's beneficial for sustaining the wildlife populations. And then there are all these ancillary benefits of two other game species, mule deer, whatnots, non-game species. And so, yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that you said, look, E-plus as a regulation, not as a system, evolves. And it's probably going to continue to evolve as things come to light, right? As that guy that probably is out there that I mentioned figures out how to play the system, has my 50 acres, gets my 13 points, I have no elk, and I get given a tag very easily, And I think this is the crux of the matter, right? He gets his tag very easily. All the public land hunters cannot get a tag easily. And he gets to hunt all this beautiful public ground because he decided to do a unit-wide tag and nobody's going to come on his property.
2: I I mean, I see what you're saying. And, And, you know, like we said, yes, perhaps there are areas where we can tighten up. And I don't necessarily think a minimum acreage is the answer because like we talked about that five acres Mm. in the middle of the public land in the Gila with the only water and like whatever a five mile radius that is providing meaningful benefit I mean but there's areas but I also think you have to recognize that those those instances those examples are not the norm the vast majority of the people that are in the unit-wide segment, which is a small segment, like we already talked about, it's only 15% of the overall tags. The, b- gotcha. the bulk of the tags that go through E-plus are ranch only, they're mm-hmm. deeded acreage only, which is what the other side says they want. Mm-hmm. You know, ranch only, only access to, to your deeded acreage. That's really the way the program already works. But when we're right. talking about those, those few tags, the majority of people that are getting those unit-wide tags are providing Mm-hmm. Some type of meaningful benefit. They're a calving ground. Or they, and I know, you know, the other side would be like, ah, that's not true. But there are legitimate landowners that want to a- open access for public land users. There's a lot of, of public land right now. So in the unit-wide program, 500,000 acres of private land is open to public land hunters. But that doesn't even include the amount of public land that... The access is better because you've got those five hundred thousand acres of deeded acreage that you have basically easement through. To it get to, 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 to get to so landlocked much. public exactly, land, exactly, exactly. So it's creating so much more access, and and people just kind of like refuse to to accept that, but the and, and there's a lot of people that will say, or not even a lot, but, you know, there's a handful of people who say, no, that's not the way it works. But the Game and Fish has gotten so much better. There's GIS maps for all of the unit-wide properties. It's not on Onyx yet, but you can basically just, like, look at it on the GIS maps on the Game and Fish, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. put that into your Onyx stuff, outline the ranch, where you've got your access points, and then go there. It's not difficult to find these ranches anymore. They're not paper maps like they used to be. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's ways that, and there's a whole lot of people that would be really upset if the unit-wide uh, public land hunters, if the unit-wide program went away, because that's where they, their access points are at. That's where they have been accessing mm, their public land. You shut those private land pieces off, and you prevent that access to that public land. Not only the access to the deeded acreage, but the access to the public land. That's a great point. There's a lot of people that you know, and. It makes it seem, you know, the fact that BHA and the New Mexico Wildlife Federation have come out in full force against the program make it seem like all the resident hunters are opposed to E+, but they're not. There are a substantial number of resident hunters that understand the value of the e program. They understand the value that the private landowners are, are providing for the wildlife, and then they also understand that if they don't draw a tag, they can buy a tag. If if they have the wherewithal to do it, which, yeah, they're more expensive, but they're equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. You can buy one just as easily as a resident as mm-hmm. you can as a non-resident. And so it's not like Nevada where you're, you know, you're basically screwed. If you don't draw a tag, there's no land, o- And you really want to hunt. There's no landowner program. Sure,
1: sure, sure. No, it's interesting that you mentioned the consequence. I don't think p- we people have thought through that, <coughs> that consequence of losing E+, which is the unit-wide tag that is, creates an easement, essentially, mm-hmm. from public through private to landlocked public. It's a very, very good insight there.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I've been practicing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have.
1: <laughs> Let me finish with this. I can understand the other side. I can understand a frustration... Right? And I think you can too. And the frustration to your last point, I think, is maybe the crux of the matter, which is I'm a resident of New Mexico. These are the public lands that I want to hunt. It's very, very difficult for me to hunt them through the public land system. And my tag, if I drew a public land tag, again, correct me here if I'm wrong because I don't know the residence fee structure, is it eight, 80 bucks a year two foot two hundred bucks a year, something like that right? Mm-hmm. super low yeah, low, and if I don't draw, I get what you're saying. it is equal opportunity. I can go get a tag and go hunt an elk, but now it costs me six thousand dollars
2: yeah I would assume that you wouldn't buy a six thousand dollar elk tag if you just wanted to go hunt. There <laughs> are less expensive there are. Yeah, I mean you could buy a cow tag fifteen hundred bucks oh, or something true. if you just want you know, <coughs> meat meat in the freezer. They're not they're not astronomical all across the board. Yeah, if you want a Gila bull tag, you're gonna pay fifteen grand. But mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. you can look north and buy a cow tag if you just really want to go hunting. But I mean I, I get your point, but I also think that it's really important to recognize that even if one hundred percent of the tags were all in in the public draw system your odds are not really increasing that much because you've got 70,000 people applying for 20,000 tags. You're still, it's a supply and demand issue.
1: Have we done the math?
2: Well, I, I haven't done the math on the like t- total, but I, in terms of private land, like if you were to put 100% of the private yeah, land w- tag. Yeah, what would the percentage
1: the draw odds? Well, I mean, you could, you
2: could do it on your phone right now. I mean, there's roughly 70,000 people that apply for 20,000 tags.
1: Oh, let's do it. Hold on. 70,000 people.
2: Well, let's see. Th- there's roughly 20,000 tags in the private land and so there's another 20,000. So, the 40,000. So, if you rolled 100% in and and then you'd have to apply the quota system because I mean, we're going to still have some non-resident opportunity. I can't I can't do that kind of math on, my you on you a calculator. So <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you, all right, just let's just do 100%. So, the 40,000 people applying for 70,000 tags. You're, I mean, that's that's a pretty high percentage of drawing, but you still are not 100%. You're still not guaranteed a tag because there's, it's supply and demand. There's
1: What's the draw odds now?
2: So the draw odds now are 84% resident, 10%... Re- no, no,
1: no, no, no. On that's the public not, land. That's not draw odds. Well, it that's d- a split. That's oh. a split, right? That's well, a, 84% of the tags are resident tags, 14%, 16% are non-resident tags. Of the resident tags, 84%. I'm not trying to trick box you here. I'm I know. Try- I'm trying but to. But
2: I'm also trying to interject that it's by hunt code.
1: I was about to say the same yeah. thing.
2: So it is a percent. I mean, so like if you have 75 tags, let's or let's just do 100 tags. 100 tags in hunt code. Then 84% off the top go to resident hunters. And 100%, it's also important to understand, 100% of the cow tags in the public land draw go to residents only. Correct. 100%. And so, when you're looking on a total tag, ba- tag basis across the spectrum, ninety ten is basically what the quota system is. But it's distributed on a hunt on a hunt code basis. Yeah. So if if we're talking like a hundred tags, then mm-hmm. that's eighty four percent going to mm-hmm. residents. Ten percent go to outfitters, but that's resident and non resident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so there are some residents that draw sure. in the outfitter pool.
1: Yeah, no, I was being unfair to you because what I was trying to calculate in my brain. Which would have been specific to different units was okay. Using the healer as an example, to draw a tag, to draw a tag, the eighty-four, even though eighty-four percent of the tag allocation is resident, for a resident to draw a healer tag is like eight percent, or it's very low odds because it's it's a very well Mm -hmm. wanted unit.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, except for like, but if you're in thirty-nine, you're you're you're. odds are going to be a whole lot better because there's not very many, I don't know if there's any outfitters that apply Mm -hmm. their hunters in unit 39, but there is elk hunting there. Mm -hmm. And I've had opportunity. I never have killed an elk in that unit, but I have uh, had opportunity to kill an elk in that unit. And, and it's a much easier draw. So yeah, it it makes it really hard to talk about statistics because it Mm -hmm. is calculated on a hunt code basis. So you really have to like drill down to a specific area that you want to talk about. But um, but just looking at the whole thing in general, you're never going to be guaranteed a tag. Yeah. Even if 100% of the yeah, tags yeah. are all going into the draw, you're never going to be guaranteed a tag mm-hmm. because there are 70,000 people mm-hmm. that want basically a 40,000 oh,
1: resource. It would be interesting, resource. again, going back to the math, it would be very interesting for someone you'd have to make some assumptions on how, if you took 100% of the tags out of the E+, and put them into the public system, 8416, you went then down one more level to the different units, and looked at the allocation of the private land tags that would be then become public in each of those units, what that would do for your percentage draw odds. It would be a fascinating exercise, because it would either go, you know, certain units may go from a resident could draw a tag 50% of the time to 80% of the time, or something in the healer, it it goes from 8% to 11%.
2: So we have done that calculation for the unit-wide tags, for bull tags specifically. Okay. And if you you were to put all of the unit-wide bull tags back into the draw, you would only increase your odds by less than a half of a percent because there's only 800 unit wide bull tags and you got to scatter those across all the hunt codes. So it's basically, you know, two or three per hunt code gotcha. that you're increasing it by. So your odds are minuscule. They're very minuscule.
1: Landowners can't decide on a yearly basis whether they want a unit wide tag on their ranch or not. Yeah, they can. Okay.
2: Then they have to reapply for the program annually.
1: So that number doesn't fluctuate greatly. It, it just really doesn't hovers around a uh, like eight hundred bu- eight hundred tags?
2: Yeah, right. It it really doesn't fluctuate that n- that frequently because there's not enormous sized ranches that are going from ranch only to unit wide. Okay. Usually the bigger bigger guys they want to keep sure they're hunters on their own property and their ranch only you don't have these giant ranches that would swing the percentage Mm. greatly within a unit in Mm, any given given year so yeah it stays roughly the same
1: uh last question is this going to be a topic in 2022 is it going to rear its head
2: yeah you know that's a really good question if we had had this conversation in dallas like we were originally planning I would have had a different response. Are you serious? Yeah, so there was some some drama. Oh, there's always drama. There was some drama with the game commission last week and uh, a commissioner was removed by the governor. Oh, yes, I saw that. And um uh, mm. and he was one of the main oppon- Propon- yeah, opponents. opponents of the E+ plus program. And um oh man, I really think it took the wind out of their sails. I hate to say that on something that's going to be like public because uh then I feel like it'll give them more fighting, you know, ability. But sure. uh,
1: Well, this is a forum for everyone to discuss. Yeah, so.
2: but but in my opinion, it just completely took the wind out of their sails. Okay. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Our legislature is in session right now, mm-hmm. and um, depending on what some of the bills are that are introduced during that session, without getting too deep into the weeds, it will give me a good indication of whether or not E-Plus is going to be on the chopping block in 2022 or whether we're waiting to 2023. It's always on the chopping block pretty much every other year. Mm-hmm.
1: But mm-hmm. Well, keep us informed. Yeah. We'd, we'd like to know, and uh, we'll push all this content out once it uh, rears its head again.
2: Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always.